this is episode five of the Think Later podcast in partnership with DataWorks, and I'm really excited to uh, welcome Rob Stretcher to the show. This episode, in my opinion, is a must listen to anyone that is interested about that kind of rise in popularity and importance of data product management. Rob has 25 years experience in tech, last 18 years in cloud and data product. He has worked for the likes of HP, Amazon, NetApp, Zerto, and most recently, Snowplow. Uh, super excited to have you on the show. And do you mind giving us a bit of a feel for kind of your background and how you got to a VP and head of product? Yeah, thanks, Alex. Uh, I, I think it is extremely exciting. Um, I love building things. And I, I think that goes back to even before I was in product management, when I started out in IT, uh, really building services. Uh, I helped build a MSP uh, called Wheelhouse back in the day. And what we did is we actually did uh, data aggregation. We did uh, what was back then, you know, really interesting tech where we did a lot of log file analysis from web servers, which is similar to what people are doing with analytics today. And I think over time, what I figured out was, hey, as I moved from the IT side more into building side, things were rather interesting. And as I became a product manager uh, and really learned the skill set of being a product manager, a lot of that was listening to your customers. And I think that I've taken that everywhere I've went. If you, anybody who's listening to this and ever had any interaction with AWS, they always talk about working backwards from the customer. Uh, I've always done that over my entire career. And if I had to tell anybody anything, it's always get close to the customer, understand what they're asking for. And really that will bring you to what the output needs to be that you're going to build. Uh, and that could be an internal customer, that could be an external customer. It doesn't necessarily mean, especially as we get into data product management, where sometimes it's the business, the company you're working for, is the actual customer. And really understanding that need and what they're looking to do is really a key. Uh, and that product management skill set uh, is really key to understanding that because they're going to be able to ask the right questions. Uh, because not everybody, some people just jump to the conclusion of what is the answer they think they need versus starting and building up to what is the correct answer and correct output that I need to get to. So my, you know, over the 20, well, over 25 years, various different things from being a customer to then building products for the customer and moving up uh, the ranks, I guess you could say from a you know, individual contributor to being a VP and SVP of product. Uh, it's really about how do you then bring the next generation of product managers along as well uh, from and being able to pick them out of different departments within an organization and build them up, not necessarily just always go out and hire them. I think that's a big piece of it is how do you become that next product manager? Yeah, no, no, I appreciate the kind of insight. And I know obviously you've come from that kind of classic kind of storage virtualization days where you have the, obviously the likes of NetApp, HP, who are really back then were the uh, kind of probably the darlings of that kind of cloud kind of 
ecosystem and, and but now you've seen kind of product teams becoming more specialized and more aligned to ver- specific verticals and in this case is obviously data ai and ml what do you think is the kind of the reason behind that kind of rise in demand a for product but but clearly defined product specialists within those verticals i i think that really Understanding data and getting to understand how you look at data is really a specialty. I I think that understanding it and doing analytics or doing as you get into building models and ML and then further on where you take actions with AI and you're letting it run itself based on those models. I, I think getting a feel for that, not necessarily getting as deep as say a data scientist, but understanding how you bring the data together and where, where you need to get it from uh, is, is a specialty. And I, I think there's not a ton of people out there in the world who understand how to build those products, uh, which is why you know the, the, the uh, requirements that you see coming out of companies are all over the map for data product managers. It's, it's pretty uh, comical in, in many cases. Uh, the last thing on the list, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the last thing on the list is having actual product management skills, or product, <laughs> yeah. you know, which is funny. But I've definitely seen that. I know we were doing some uh, research for a company, and they we were just doing some high level um, research, and you know, I think just very crassly looking at data product management as a job title in the whole of North America, four and a half thousand data product managers. Uh, versus what hundreds of thousands of data scientists and it's it's interesting because the the demand is still there and I guess on the demand side is there a point in a company's journey where they need to seriously consider a clearly defined product owner because some people talk about kind of seed investment really early stages but then others who are quite far down the path are kind of thinking we now need a product owner. Is is there a kind of a point in their journey where you think they need to have a clearly defined product owner? Yeah, I, I think product owner versus product manager. It's, it's quite a very interesting, uh, I guess you could say uh, journey for mm. companies uh, and having been at multiple smaller companies uh, you know, I've, I've been at nine of them now. Uh, that have been startups, uh, you know, that have been either been bought or uh, IPO'd or done what have you. And when you start to look at in their journey, a lot of times the first product manager and product owner is one of the founders. And mm-hmm. I think it becomes as that person is starting to shed their hats and looking to expand, then you start to see that product management, because at the end of the day, if you're a software company or a cloud company or doing something interesting built in software. I mean, cloud is software at the end of the day uh, on top of somebody else's hardware. I mean, when you start to look at it, you're really trying to see how, how do I get more scale? How do I get more bandwidth? Usually it starts with one uh, player coach type that can then you know expand into that. And what you see is usually you're bringing somebody in who doesn't mind getting their hands dirty. Uh, I mean, that was the case I mean, for Zerto, for instance. Uh, there were no product managers when I got there, but there were three product owners that lived in engineering. And what we looked to do was try to understand how do we get better organization? Uh, and that organization is key to your question is, when do I need to make trade-offs? Usually yeah. you see product management coming in 
and product owners when you're starting to go, I have a backlog. There's more things I could ever do in my entire life in software here. How do I prioritize that and say, here are the key ones that I need to go to hit the company goals or hit OKRs if you want to use yeah. OKRs. It's interesting you talk about the founder-led businesses because it's a po- at a point on their journey where that founder who may be the CPO, he's the, or she is the one who's maybe conceived the idea and is, you know, but there's a point in their journey where they need to relinquish some form of ownership. And in terms of the, I suppose, founders or those type of organizations you work for, I, when do they realize the right time is to kind of hand the baby over and say, you know, this is yours to run with. And then, as you said, they move on to maybe managing up more. Yeah, I think it it depends on the scale of the company and really where they are in their life cycle. Um, A lot of companies, you know, sub 10 million, uh, you know, are, you know, 10 million US dollars and maybe Mm -hmm. they have 20, 25 people and they're mostly engineers you're probably not at that phase. You're probably at the phase of maybe you need a product manager to come in. Uh, maybe you have a couple of different, uh, you know, teams or squads uh, that are in the engineering department and you're trying to look for some organization across that. Uh, but I think sometimes even at that level, people uh, mistake program management for product management and what do they really need and what are they trying to do and how are they trying to organize uh, so, you know, in, in just consulting to and advising uh, young startups that I do now, it's, you know, a lot of what they're looking to do is, okay, when do I bring that person in? And I think that that, that is a key decision-making to what are the actual, what is this you're going to look for in their CV or in their LinkedIn? Uh, because are you looking really for the program management aspect or are you looking for people who can go through and understand the customer and understand the backlog and start to make those decisions. Uh, and the founders need to be okay with relinquishing some of that upfront. It doesn't mean that they go away and they don't have input to, yeah. to the product and to what the backlog looks like in the backlog grooming. And I, I think that's the key is that you uh, really do that. And I mean, even at bigger companies, uh, Amazon, for instance, they start with product management. Uh, when I went, yeah, I mean, when I went through and took something up to Andy Jassy to get it approved and get it funded, uh, you know, it's a product manager working independently on uh, a doc because everything's in a doc at Amazon. And that doc is a six page doc that you take forward. Uh, and I think that that starts to understand, okay, is there a real problem here? And it's like going and doing a pitch deck to a venture capitalist and having that. So I I think it depends on where you are in your life cycle, because then once you get funded at something like an Amazon, similar to like getting funded by a venture capitalist, you Mm. then have, you know, your squad or two squads or a two pizza team, as they would call it at Amazon of eight people where you're going and you're actually now building. Uh, And I think that becomes the key is understanding, you know, where is this going and you know what was the founder trying to achieve and getting close to the founder in those venture-led uh endeavors as well it's interesting you reference the company of obviously amazon size where you know it's almost you know it's got its own kind of internal investment vehicle it's got its own kind of uh, huge stakeholder um huge emphasis on stakeholder management on buy-in and i guess on the 
on the limitations or maybe some of the blockers that companies have when it comes to setting up a product environment within specifically within AI and ML and advanced analytics, would you say the blockers come more down to the lack of understanding that the benefits it can bring or is it is it budgetary or just, you know, is there other factors at play here? I, I think a lot of times it, the need is perceived that, hey, uh, we have these really smart data scientists but the models aren't getting implemented. And they're starting to get frustrated because nothing's coming out the other end from a software perspective because really building AI and ML uh, you know, products is really about getting software out. And I think that a lot of people who've not been in a product management role for a software company really don't understand what is it to ship. So you get this... Uh, people think they're doing agile development and you end up doing, you know, death by a thousand cuts where you continuously are changing models and not shipping code and not learning from that, you know, minimally lovable product MLP. I don't like the word MVP because viable just is not a, I think it's a crap word for part of my, my English there, but you know, from a perspective of lovable, you want the customer to get value out of it and love it. So they come back and give you more feedback. And I think that data scientists really want that to happen. And I think that the stumbling blocks can be, you know, the model's not perfect. And mm -hmm. so scientists, you know, data scientists get stuck in that always reinventing the model and never shipping anything. And I'm not saying all of them, but it can be that pattern depending on who you have there, who's been through this and says, okay, the model's good enough. Let's move forward, get to the next version of it. Let's learn from this. And, you know, in real, you know, once you've actually trained it and done some of that, get it out there in the real world and see what happens. Um, and I think that's what you're seeing with like, you know, with uh, Google's announcement, you know, just this week of uh, Braun and you have the chat G, uh, G, GTP yeah. uh, with GTP three and then GTP four coming soon. I, I think you're starting to see that people are just getting it out there, seeing what the engagement mm -hmm. looks like. And that has to be the goal. Uh, you got to be quick, agile, got to be able to make these turns. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating uh, time. I think uh, for me, who've been in analytics for 11, 12 years now, I've never seen so much uh, noise, interest, curiosity, concern, nervousness around one application or one product or one concept. And obviously Google recently, as you said, the last few days have come out with theirs. And Do you think there's some, uh, maybe some reluctance in these organizations to, as you say, kind of learn by doing right because a lot of the questions we have with data scientists or ml engineers is they never really see the result of the model they've built and that's typically when they would move on i think the average tenure is 18 months for a data scientist before they move on to the next gig so do you think almost the product manager is almost like the flag bearer they're the ones that are championing this to the business and that's kind of where a lot of their stakeholder skills are kind of best utilized Absolutely. I, I think that's key uh, is that you're that uh, intersection or hub with the business and bringing that feedback from a customer perspective back in, be it, you know, a chat GTP that's going externally to real customers or be it something that's being used internally to 
better understand or analyze what's going on within your own customer base, I think that product manager needs to understand what are the goals of the company? How does this help so that they can actually relay to those data scientists and to the software engineers, this is why, this is the what and the why, and they get the data scientists and the software engineers get to figure out the how. And I think that's the key importance for product managers is understanding how they make that connection for the company. Um, and even, even at the large companies, it's still the same. Uh, it doesn't matter the size, but that, you know, it's key at smaller companies because you just don't have that much. Uh, you have less to be able to do. So uh, and more, yeah. less people, more stuff to do. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I guess obviously the purpose of well, one of the main purposes of this podcast is to try and educate, train and kind of advise people looking to transition into these kind of uh, specialist areas within data and, and data product is certainly one of those which we've seen some great, uh, you know, great demand for. But in terms of uh, the kind of the characteristics that make a good kind of data product manager and for people looking to transition into that space, what, what do you think typically makes a good data product manager? You touched on earlier the stakeholder skills, that kind of technical understanding without necessarily being a data scientist is there anything kind of additional to that yeah i think again people who are i've seen uh succeed at this maybe have come out of an engineering and they've been an individual contributor they don't really want to go the management route within uh, software development maybe they go back they get an mba or they do some business or even taking some a class like pragmatic marketing's uh software product management class that which is one that i highly recommend it's lovely uh, three-day course that can help you understand what it means to be a product manager but sometimes having that skill set like you said or we were talking about earlier is the fact that when you start to look at and everybody wants to know do you know the you know salesforce.com's api set do you know all of this being able to understand and read a api and at least understand it or understand what comes from it from the documentation is pretty key uh, mm. to going into that data product management. It doesn't mean that you're going to build the software yourself, but a lot of times having some software building background uh, is extremely helpful. Um, others, you know, people who've been software product managers, uh, you know, can succeed pretty easily because at the end of the day, uh, ML and AI is real and data is about how you're moving it around, right? And and figuring that out. So I think that those are two of the places that I've seen people come from and succeed uh, are kind of, you know, having done some sort of product management before in a, you know, maybe not even in data, but they understand APIs, they understand how things track and how things move around uh, from a data perspective. Uh, those types of people usually have a really good background. Uh, in addition to the engineers who, you know, maybe have been building software um, and have gone more business side and want to move up on the product management road uh, versus staying and being a manager within engineering. Amazing. And I, you touched on that, um, the website or the platform for people to learn about product. What I will say for anyone listening, I'll, we'll put a link in the comments for that so we can share that in due course. Because um, I think there is a lot of curiosity. We talked beforehand about companies that have hired data product teams uh, more recently people are letting them go um but what do you think uh, 
makes a kind of a, a good product team and what you know in terms of the kind of the buy-in the, the the culture the people you're hiring what, what, what kind of makes a great and effective data product team in your eyes I think one uh, one of the attributes of a good product manager is having a thick skin <laughs> and being okay. able to take criticism uh, and and actually embracing criticism. I, I think that having a culture where you're never done uh, and yeah. you have that feeling of hey, I want to always be better, but I need to get it out uh, because I need engagement with the product. That is key. So building a culture of engagement working backwards from the customer, uh, really understanding uh, that you're never finished and being able to work cross organization. And again, it depends if you're more being a product data product manager internally, uh, but you need to understand your customer. So if your customer mm -hmm. is sales, is it finance, is it customer success and understanding, uh, or is it ultimately your end customer that you're building for? You need to understand the different uh, people who are going to contribute valuable input into there and be able to embrace that and really work with them and partner with them. So you have to have that partnership skills in addition to a thick skin, never feeling you know finished and really looking to get things out and get engagement. Those are kind of the four keys that I look to build into the organizations that I've managed. Interesting. Yeah, I think obviously on the on the flip side, uh, what kind of breaks a function is obviously all the, I suppose, the, the stakeholder, lack of stakeholder buy-in, the kind of investment to a certain degree. Do you think there's a, I've heard of kind of, um, kind of ROI and, you know, how companies are measuring the success of a data product function. How, how can you truly measure that because obviously you've got obviously the data scientists who are building those models and those are being deployed out eventually hopefully into a live scenario but from a data product how do you measure the a the success of that function and b the kind of roi yeah i think it's how widely is it used right yeah. and I, I think it's it's the consumer aspect of it uh, okay. so you're trying to understand and measure like you would with any product you want to understand the use utilization of that data product Mm -hmm. uh, so you look at the data and the data models as that, and then you can look at, okay, how many different, uh, you know, data scientists can I serve with that data product, for instance, if you're mm -hmm. internal. Uh, and maybe it's you're looking to say, okay, well, the data, it's the data product actually is bigger than just the data. It's the AI and ML with that, that becomes the data product. And I, I think there's some companies that, uh, view just the data as the product, like the mm -hmm. data set in say a, you know, um, in a Snowflake or a Databricks or on S3 as objects or what have you, they look at that as being the data product or is it really when you start to look at, uh, it's once you've put the model on top of it and actually have an output. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think getting that clear within your organization is is very key and understanding how does your organization view a data product and how do they define it? Because there's a couple different ways to look at that. And I think that's the super key to being successful because the consumption of that, you know, regular KPIs where you, it depends if you're doing revenue or if you're actually doing internal uh, KPIs like, uh, you know, reducing churn, for instance, if you were maybe customer success was your, uh, your customer 
for the data product, are they able to reduce churn of yep. that? And you get your NRR, uh, your net uh, revenue retention rate up for your company if you're a SaaS company, for instance. Um, so I think it becomes, yeah, it's, it's a business. You got to look at the business for that a lot of times. And you've obviously talked so much about the the benefits that a clearly defined data product team uh, can bring to a business. Um, and obviously what we've heard is that people want to make these hires. They want to invest in these areas. They want to have a clearly defined structure. And almost, as you say, that flag bearer who is going to drive that product roadmap from a data standpoint. But what, in your experience, and you've worked for startups, you've worked for some of the largest firms out there, for firms making their first hire, and for managers listening to this who may be on that journey of, we know we need this, but how are we going to do it? What, what, what should they consider first and foremost before make, going to market and trying to hire someone? Yeah, I, I think it's a cultural fit is the number one yeah. I mean, again, I think you, you as a manager, you need to be honest with yourself and say, this is why I'm bringing this person on and say, okay, I need them because we've gotten to a place where prioritization is uh, just being done next. You know, the next thing at the top of the list is just being picked off and worked on and we're never really getting to an end point. So if, mm. if that, you know, as a manager, you're looking to do that. You probably want somebody who's heavier in the product management skills set versus understanding the tech. Um, you don't need somebody who's as deep in the software per se or as deep in the data science. But if you're at the other side of the spectrum where you have a ton of engineering resources and you need somebody who can speak their language and actually talk to them, you may want somebody who has more uh, of an engineering background. And maybe less of the product management skills, but you think that they can come up to speed on that stuff a little bit faster. Uh, so I think it's 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 a challenging problem when you're making that first hire. Mm. Um, you know, when I've done it, you know, in my past, I've looked at and said, okay, that first hire is somebody who's going to solve this problem. What skill set don't I have that they have that I need? And you're looking for somebody who's smarter than you. And you're, you're saying, hey, I, I want to hire somebody better and smarter than me at this. And that's why I'm bringing them in. And I think that if you keep that in the back of your mind as a hiring manager, uh, it usually works out pretty well uh, in that way. Yeah, that's a fascinating insight. And I think probably somewhat overlooked because someone asked me the other day about do people ever go back from product manager into being hands-on and actually it's a tricky kind of conundrum isn't it because you want them to solve a certain problem but over time you're probably hoping they are going to become a fully fledged product manager but is their passion going to be to kind of step away from the tech and actually be hands off so i guess again that probably comes down to the the support the training the the platform that you are creating for these people to to, to, to i suppose solve the problem of them not leaving after a year and going actually i quite i quite miss the tech yeah, and I, I think that's part of the key is you're looking to uh, help somebody have a career and build mm -hmm. that career path. And I think by hiring people who are smarter than you in something and knowing your own limitations and yeah. understanding this is why I'm hiring somebody uh, and not trying to micromanage them and not trying to be in the weeds with them or not try to be as smart as them at 
their job and enabling them, that becomes a key. Uh, I think that becomes, hey, then I can create a career path. So maybe to your point, they come out of engineering, they went and got an MBA, they haven't really done anything with the MBA, but they work with product managers quite a bit. And they're looking to now move into that. They think they know what it is to be a product manager from working with them. You need to create that. Uh, how do they become and understand how to rationalize back from the customer? Uh, and I've seen some great product managers come out of that way. I've also seen product managers go from engineering to product management to engineering to product management, which is always very interesting. Uh, and, you know, I have a friend in Israel where he did that. He was one of the engineering leads at Zerto and his next role was in product ma- back in product management. Uh, now he's a director uh, at Wiz, uh, a director of product management for Wiz. And it's, you know, he does a great job with that and understanding how to build those teams uh, because mm-hmm. he's seen it from both sides and it really, you know, helped him succeed. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a. Uh fascinating to see how this kind of as more people enter the space um will we see those roles becoming more defined and more uh, i suppose separated or will we actually yeah. see them becoming more hybrid and i suppose the the million dollar question for you you've obviously been in the space for a number of years what, what where do you see data product uh, as as a clearly defined function you know progressing to well, what does the future hold i guess yeah i think the data product management and data products in general uh, are going to continue to increase. Uh, I think the value of the data and the analysis on top of it is incredibly key, especially in a, an economy like we have these days. Uh, in down economies, you need to understand your customer better. And you need to understand all of your data better. Uh, and, you know, working with a, another startup right at the moment, and I was talking with them and a, with one of their customers, and they get to the point where they're throwing data out before they even know the value of it because of the cost of continuing to keep the data. Once you understood and you map the data and you take a more business approach and a data product approach, they've been able to go back and know which data they need to keep, which data they do throw out. And they've been able to get that cost savings uh, that they were looking for on data they don't need. But at the same time, they're keeping certain data longer and Mm -hmm. because of the value of that data. And I think that's where data product management comes in is helping people understand what is the value of the data and the data product that you're creating. Where is it going to help you from a business goals perspective? Yeah. And I think to add to that, where we've seen the last two years change in terms of the modern data stack and actually the tools and applications and so which you've got at your fingertips versus maybe five six years ago you know the the ability to draw derive insight real-time insight and actually work on you know you know modeling is becoming more accessible to more people and i think actually all of that modern data environment is probably contributing to how effective this product piece can become i guess absolutely and i think that's the one of the keys is that you're looking at how successful you can be based on all of the data that you have and which is the right data because you know good data is good uh more data is better and but having really clean data is really a key when you're building these models 
No, Rob, well, look, I'd like to thank you uh, for your time. It's been uh, really insightful, and as I say, for, for anyone listening, and uh, we'll obviously share the link to the uh, the data product um, kind of training platform you, you referenced. And as I say, we're getting yep. a lot of inquiries around this whole space for you to offer the insight and uh, knowledge that you have has been really welcome. So, yeah, on behalf of everyone, thanks, Rob. I do really appreciate your time. Thanks, Alex. It's been great. Thanks, Rob.